Hello and welcome to Rocket's Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. I'm Simone de Rochefort, senior video producer at Polygon, and I'm here with Christina Warren, uh, about to be swamped by Build, and <laughs> senior cloud advocate at Microsoft, and Brianna Wu, rebuilding her Animal Crossing island from scratch. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. I'm so uh, sorry. This no, is the worst. It's, 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 it's no one's fault except for Nintendo. So uh, uh, long story short, I was giving Christina my, my Switch, my old Switch. This is not Christina's fault even 0.1% because Frank had a switch and my old switch has been taken around the world and it's cracked and the screen is scratched and Christina wanted one for the fire festival uh, that we're going to be putting on. Uh, So I transferred everything over and I checked my final fantasy saves worked fine. Uh, A bunch of other apps worked fine. I didn't think to check animal crossing. I went ahead and formatted my old one. Then I realized that uh, for some reason, Nintendo won't let Animal Crossing uh, saves transfer between switches, even if you've got them right there next to each other, transferring all the files over. Um, so I then rage quitted Animal Crossing. So <laughs> I feel so stupid because like this is a known thing and I feel yeah. so dumb for not remembering it when we were talking about this last week. Yeah, like like I thought for some because I'd read some some issues people had, and that's why I was like I was like, well, check it as long as you know it's going to be cool. Um, but then you know you said it went fine, and I was like, okay, well maybe because I knew that you couldn't transfer like the normal way, but I figured okay, well maybe if you do a console transfer, like right. okay, that will will transfer it over. Surely it will. No, everyone, be no, careful. Your Animal it Crossing doesn't. saves are tied to the system. Ah, uh, which which is insane. Like, look, I get it. They if have you don't cloud saves cloud- for other games. Right. Like, I get if you don't want to do cloud save. Like, I can understand that. What I don't understand is that the other games that don't have cloud saves do at least have the ability, when you transfer consoles, to, you know, back it up. So, I, I, I don't know. Nintendo also, doesn't want you to back that ass up. Uh, clearly, they don't want you to back that ass up, and that's terrible. Also, just a note, uh, Animal Crossing Fire uh, Festival is still happening, but the date is TBD because Build is next week, and there's no way I can do it over the weekend. So... The website is also still a disaster. It, it wouldn't, wouldn't be good. Yeah. It wouldn't be good. It would be bad, but not in the bad way we want it to be bad. It so has to be it's perfectly coming. bad. <laughs> it has to be perfectly bad. So it's still coming. It's just I overestimated or overestimated my ability to do it and underestimated how much work More like you're is. a build a ditty. Yeah, but I'm bummed. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still very much looking forward to that. Um, Brianna, I'm sorry for your loss. I hope... Honestly, I kind of feel like I've been freed. You know, dude, I I haven't played for a a couple days and I logged in today to do some capture and everyone in my village was sad that I had been gone and there were weeds and I was like, oh, frick. This is, I'm, I'm rude for not logging in and disappointing my virtual friends. This is a burden on me. Um, so I feel bad now. I'm just gonna have to like do the 20 minutes a day check-in thing just to make everyone happy. You know what I do sometimes? What? I time travel back if like I've missed oh a few days. Oh my god. And then I just like grind through and like do each day by day. You See, are a That's maniac. a second job. Yeah. yeah. That's a second <laughs> job. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, Brianna, something <laughs> has gone right in your life this week, and it is that you did receive your powerful Mac. 
So I let's did. have I our third. Got it. You had it last week? No, 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 no. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, let's have your third powerful Mac update. <laughs> this will be very quick. Uh, it is freaking amazing. It is amazing. You know, Christina, your point about uh, the architecture inside this being three years old is very, very well taken. But for what I do, it's just frankly the kind of stuff that just throwing cores at a problem helps it with. Um, That's awesome. So I was comparing a few things. So uh, with my old iMac, uh, there's a specific Unreal 4 uh, Engine 4 scene that I used to render. It would take about eight minutes uh, to do on my old machine. If I have all the settings exactly the same way here, it will render on this machine in under a minute. So that is just a huge, huge step forward. The frame rate is rock solid. Um, I haven't been able to get a second monitor to plug up to it yet. I'm hoping I will figure out how to do that without having to buy an external GPU box. But this is a great buy. Um, you know, the last really expensive production Mac I bought last lasted me for a decade. I'm sure this one will too. So I'm extremely happy with this purchase. I'm so glad. I'm well. I mean, you got a great deal. Like I once did. I found out the deal you got, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that that's what you do. Like if if yeah. your if the alternative is you don't get the deal, or like or if you didn't get a deal, or if, if the other one hadn't been delayed until June, I mm-hmm. would have been like, nah. but in this case, no. Huge win. I'm very happy for you. Well, and I was I was really worried because I was buying it from, you know, a friend and but things go wrong, right? right. And it's like, well, what if I get it and I find out I can't get Apple Care on it <sighs> or it's used in some way? Like I'm scared about that, you know? Totally. And I get I get it here and um, you know, my heart stopped when I tried to register and get Apple Care because Apple goes you cannot register this machine. <laughs> and, and, but it was just because it was, uh, it was from, it was, a uh, it was through CDW and then CDW couldn't fulfill the orders. And then I got it from, you know, someone selling stuff, uh, basically getting stock from them from canceled orders there. So I just called Apple up and told them that and they're like, start a new warranty. It was great. So I got awesome. a, I got a $8,200 Mac for $5,900. So I'm very happy with that. If any uh, rocket listeners out there want to deal, uh, reach out. I'll let you know my guy. So that's nice. awesome. I'm so happy that's for awesome. you. <laughs> All right. So we had some late breaking tech news last week. Of course, after we finish recording rocket rules, rocket rules. It's been a while, I think, since we've had a true rocket. It rule. has. But this was a hell of a one. And then it's especially, like, ironic. I mean, this proves, though, if anybody's ever wondered, like, oh, Christina knows what's happening at her company no. beforehand. <laughs> did, did not. Had no clue. Had no idea. Surface Book 3. That thing's get The Surface Book is getting new guts. And they also announced a Surface Dock 2. Uh, so that Surface Book 3 has improved SSD, RAM, and GPU. It's still using the same processor, and it doesn't have Thunderbolt 3 support. But And the outside is the same, but the inside, nice, souped up, jazzy, speedy, delicious. Also new Surface Go 2, which has an updated processor. You can now oh, get up to an, M, to an M3, um, there, which so, so that's, uh, you know, like, for people who like the Surface Go or people who are looking at, okay, I don't know if I need a full computer or if I can do an iPad or whatever, this will complicate your life even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, new Surface headphones and the Surface Buds. But the Surface Book 3, I thought that it had the new 10th uh, gen processor. It said in the Verge piece, uh, the 
core i7 1065G7 processor. Uh, it, it specifically said the same as the last one. Okay. Uh, or might, might be the same as, as the Surface laptop. Um, uh, cause I, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to say it might be the same as the Surface laptop, but um, it's uh, um, the big thing there, I think, is, and we've apparently, I've talked to people who've said that they've heard this from um, people who, uh, like customers who are wanting this thing, is that if you get the 15-inch model, it you can get the NVIDIA Quadra graphics, which for a laptop is actually really powerful, meaning for people who are doing machine learning and other certain sorts of, of, of work, it could be very powerful for that. So if you trick it all out and make it cost like $3,000, it can actually <laughs> be a really powerful device. So that, that was something that I, that, I, um, that I heard. So that's I was like, oh, okay, that's actually interesting. Would you? I don't think I'd get the Quadro RTX 3000 Max-Q. No, I might get the one that has like the, the upgraded, the, the uh, GTX uh, 1660 um, graphics, but I don't think I'd go all the way for the Quadro. No, I don't think so. I don't think that for, because it's optimized not for gaming, it's optimized for different types of workloads. So it's a very powerful GPU, but it's optimized for different things, mm-hmm. things that I don't do. Gotcha. So yeah. me, no. So I want to talk about the Go, because to me, that's the that's the sexiest machine here. And when the first Go came out, I bought it. I really, really, really loved the form factor. 10 out of 10 form factor not powerful enough. It was like check your email, <laughs> wait for the processor, click on, you know, uh, click on your browser to open, wait for the processor. It was just too slow. And some, now the initial reviews for the Go 2 have said the M3 is enough, yeah. but it's barely enough. Right. So I, and to be honest, if you have something that small and that sexy, I mean, maybe, maybe that's okay. I don't know. I still think it looks like a great deal and the form factor is just amazing. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that at this point, it's sort of interesting now that we're all working from home, it changes the portability aspect a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think it also opens things up to saying if you're getting a small portable device, kind of a secondary device, you don't have the same maybe requirements, if that makes any sense. Because if it is going to be, like if it's your primary computing device, I think that's hard, period. I think it's hard if it's an iPad. I think it's hard if it's an iPad Pro. I think it's hard if it's a Surface Go. I I think that making that your primary computing device, if you are not somebody who is only in a web browser, is difficult. I just think that it is. Uh, Having said that, if it's a secondary device, I almost feel like if you're at home and you have access to either a more powerful laptop or desktop anyway, but you just want something that you don't want to have to lug out the power adapter and deal with maybe like not so good battery life or overheating, or you don't want to have to go into the other room where your monitors are hooked up, or maybe you want to keep your laptop hooked up to your monitors and you just want something that you can grab, you know, and, and use on the couch or use in bed or whatever. I feel like having a less powerful machine becomes a lot more acceptable, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I guess at that if you're having a less powerful home machine just to have around, how does that then make the Surface Go to compare to something like the Amazon Fire Tablet, which is less expensive and I don't think is good, but perfectly suitable for lounging around your house? Well, I mean, because I, I, I think there's like a difference, right? Like 
again, I think it's almost situational based. So the way I think about how I use my own machines. So I'm using my iPad Pro a ton. And actually, uh, weird tangent, my iPad Pro started overheating and having major issues. Ooh. And Apple shipped me a replacement Ooh. through Apple Care. What I, a roller I coaster like, this has been. <laughs> I called them at 5 p.m. on a Friday. I had the new, uh, you know, the refurb, whatever the replacement model on Monday. So great service there. Hi, uh, highly recommended. But I was going to say, you know, I have a lot of meetings in different time zones. And so sometimes there are cases where I don't actually want to grab one of my laptops and deal with all that and also have to deal with mm. all the apps running in the background and, and like loading Teams and loading Slack and loading all this other stuff. I'm just like, I'm this is too much. I'm just going to be in video calls anyway. I don't want to have to deal with all this other stuff. So I just grab my iPad and I do a ton of stuff on my iPad that way. And so I feel like a Surface Go would be great in that scenario. In fact, it might even be superior because the camera wouldn't be in a weird position where my iPad Pro's camera is. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good so point. I, so, so I feel like that's that's for me how I would kind of see the use case where it's like, okay, if I know that I have to do something that's going to be require more, then go ahead and either get my laptop or, or go into my office and use my iMac. But if it's something where I'm going to be, you know, browsing web links and in, you know, video chats and sending things back and forth, and I don't want to have to deal with all the other stuff, sometimes I just like a simpler, you know, less powerful machine. Mm -hmm. And that would do things that a Fire tablet, which would be great for watching content, is not going to do. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey. It's also cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's true. Can I tell you guys? This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Oh my God. It's true. Yeah. You can make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store. Or maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't gotta worry about it. Squarespace has it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help, and they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. Ooh! And all of their award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Mmm, it's so juicy to make a Squarespace website and look at all their beautiful visual forward designs where I can put lovely photos and information about myself in whatever format I want. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash rocket. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code ROCKET to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain and show your support for ROCKET. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash ROCKET and the code ROCKET, ROCKET, the word ROCKET, to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So that was fun for me. Yay! <laughs> um, no, that's awesome. Also, just uh, just to clarify, the processor in the Surface Book Three is the tenth gen um, Intel processors. Oh, wow. I, I confirmed that. Is so it one? is the latest. Ooh. Yes, what it is. What have I been reading? I don't know because I'm actually looking at the Verge's comparison site where they have it compared against the other MacBook Pros and, and Dell XPSs and whatnot. And no, it is it is the tenth gen. 
Well, I'm going to look into that. <laughs> anyway. I misread something. Anyway, just wanted to clarify. I was going I was like, "Ah, that'd be weird if it wasn't." But yeah, it is it is the latest processor. Oh, I th- I what I got mixed up was um Microsoft is still using 15 watt Intel processors here. Right. Well, Apple makes use of 45 watt chips. Got uh, that was the mistake that I made, dummy that I am. Thank you, Christina, for the correction. Um, any thoughts on the Surface Dock too before we move on? I'm actually a really big fan of the Surface Dock and I I really, really love it. It's one of my favorite, like kind of first party dock things. Um that baby so supports who, two 4K monitors. Yeah. So so for what people who aren't familiar with the dock, how it works is that it has a special connector similar, kind of like the MagSafe connector was of your that plugs in and then on the back it has um, it used to have DisplayPort, uh, mini DisplayPort connections. Now it has USB-C. And so you can plug in multiple monitors, but it also has like full, you know, powered USB ports and networking and other stuff. And what I've liked about it is that it's been one of the only dock solutions I've ever used where it legit is plug in and go, um, where you don't have to, you know, it, it handles waking things up and transferring, you know, your mouse and keyboard and, and displays and all that stuff over like seamlessly. Like I've never had a dock experience like that. So I really like it. The big update here is that they replaced the mini display port with USB-C. So that will let you have two 4K monitors, like you said, but also means that it's going to work with a lot of USB-C accessories. So I think that's a good move. Noise. Awesome. All right. So we had a very exciting demo today from Epic. They showed off a demo of Unreal Engine 5 running on the developer hardware of the PlayStation 5. Um, so that they, they basically, what they showed was very beautiful and very fast and speedy. It was also a pre-rendered demo without, that didn't use any of the like live processing and ray tracing and stuff that game developers will have to contend with. However, I would love to hear Brianna's thoughts on what she's seen so far of Unreal Engine 5 since, hey, now it's time for her to make games again. Yeah, this is my specialty. I mean, Unreal is I've invested everything in learning Unreal. Um, so I I I I I have to critique your field just a little bit, Simone. I've been generally very frustrated with the Games Press uh coverage of this. I understand that if Epic is bringing you out and showing you Unreal Engine, I I really understand like it's a beautiful demo. I understand why people would have an emotional reaction to it because it is beautiful. And you you think about the number of tries that they're they're processing on the fly and the dynamic lighting. It is it's very very impressive. But I've been really disappointed with the the lack of critical or even technical coverage about this. Um, Even today, Gene Park, who I consider a friend at the Washington Post, he's been hyping this up all day on Twitter. He's making statements like normals are dead, normal mapping is dead. And it's just the truth is we have Epic's position on this. If you talk to Amazon about Lumberyard, they will tell you Lumberyard <laughs> is awesome. And uh, so yeah. this is this is my worry about this. Um, when, when Unreal moved from Unreal 3 to Unreal 4, they threw away a lot of the systems. Uh, for one of the biggest ones in, impacting me is Kismet. Uh, the reason we haven't remastered Rev60 in Unreal 4 is because they got rid of Kismet, a technology we based a lot of our game on, and now we'd have to completely redo it in Blueprint. So for developers like me, as I'm sitting down going, okay, it's time to learn Unreal 4, 
now that I know Unreal Engine 5 is coming out, I I want technical answers about what is what technologies I can invest in. Are they going to keep blueprint for the next time around? Um, are the project files like, is there going to, what, what parts of the engine are they going to deprecate? Uh, they're talking about a normal free pipeline that hooks directly up to ZBrush. What does that look like? What technologies can I be betting on today for my game that's going to ship next year? And I, I, with all respect to your field, think you've really been acting as marketers more than journalists. Does, does that make sense? Uh, not from like the coverage that I read on The Verge, but I can see how people tweeting about it enthusiastically <laughs> could <Fair> be. <laughs> I didn't read that piece from The Verge, so and they typically don't do this. But I'm saying overall, I've just seen a lot of hype today, and it's very scant on technical details. If yeah, that makes I mean sense. that's kind of the impression that I got. I did not watch the demo. I, I watched a video of it after the fact, but it. It does look very beautiful, but as the Verge piece pointed out, it's not, this isn't running live like a game would be. Um, and I believe it, they mentioned it was only running, yeah, it was running 30 FPS, um, where most games run 60. And um, so it's it's a demo without needing to deal with the performance of the of the hardware that it's running on and without dealing with ray tracing, which I mean, developers can choose whether or not to implement that um, and right. how, how they want their games to look. Not every game needs to look as photorealistic as this demo did, but it's right. certainly like it, it was a demo and it did what a demo does, which is to look good, <laughs> but it didn't, I didn't get much information from it on what it actually is going to do. I mean, it all depends on what individual developers decide to do with that, with those tools. But it's not just that it's, it's, so another example is Epic is promising the LOD is something you're not going to have to stress anymore. If you've ever seen a video game as you're walking, as you're far away from a 3D object and you walk closer to it, how it gets more and more detailed or Forza is a better example. If you look at Forza, uh, your car in the the Forza Vista mode, like when you're picking which car you want, looks a lot more detailed than the car you actually race in. That's a feature called LOD, level of detail. And basically, uh, traditionally, we would go through and make like a a 200 poly thing that's very much at a distance and a you know, 3K poly thing and then a really beautiful like 20K poly thing when you're right up close to it. It would dynamically load that. So Epic is saying, hey, we're just going to automatically do LOD for you. Now, hold on for a second, because <laughs> there are a ton of systems that you got to think about with that. You've got light mapping. If your geometry is changing, then light mapping is going to change for your UVs. Is it going to auto UV that stuff? How is that going to work with stacked assets? There's there's a ton of stuff we just don't know here. Mm-hmm. And I just, Epic has been a great partner to me, and I, I trust them and believe them generally. But I just want to see us going slower before, you know, headlines are saying, this is going to be the best thing ever. Graphics are saved for the next generation. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's not, this isn't something where we're going to immediately on launch see the benefits of Unreal 5. It's more like something where a couple of years from now, we'll see people have made that shift into taking advantage of it. I will say, yep. in to speaking of them being a good partner to you, uh, one of the things that they announced today was, they are now letting developers keep all royalties for the first $1 million in sales that they make uh, with games built in Unreal 5. 
which does rule. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. They've got some uh, Fortnite cash. So. They got a little Dang Fortnite it. cash to burn. I was going to say, they've got a little bit of Fortnite cash. A little They're bit. They're doing all right. <laughs> um, yeah, so excited to learn actual things about this. Christina, did you have any thoughts about that? No, I mean, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I, th- I, I think I kind of agree with you. I mean, like I... This is this is a demo that's designed to get people excited. This isn't going to be like a, a super technical kind of, you know, show off. Like this just seems like this is to get people like excited about what the potential can be, but the ramifications and what it means, we don't know yet. Uh, but I think that it's, I, I think it's great and it's, it's really exciting to see what will come from this. And I don't know, you know, I, I um, Epic is, Epic is interesting in that we haven't, Steam hasn't had a competitor and now they do and it's interesting because they both kind of have these mm-hmm. big positions of power that are, when you think about it, are kind of make you uncomfortable. But <laughs> I kind of feel like it's good that they at least exist. And so it'll be interesting, I think, to see from like an epic standpoint from like, like it'd be interesting to me to see like what sort of incentives they're going to throw in addition to the the $1 million, you know, giving money to to people who use in, Unreal 5 or whatever, like what sort of incentives they throw at people to use Unreal 5, um, like who are using that, what sort of incentives they give for people to be exclusive in Epic Store. Like that to me it be, is an interesting question. Definitely. Absolutely. I wonder if they're going to change their logo. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like their logo? No, I think it's ugly. Well, get right on that, Epic. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Why are you wasting time making new engines, not changing your logo? <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't hate it. I don't know. Like, It depends on what background it's on, I think. I don't want to make this a whole thing. I'm sorry. I was totally. just look, looking at it to see no, if No, I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm like, look, if it has, like, the 3D kind of effects or whatever, I'm not into it. But if it's no. just, like, the, the dark kind of matted, like, Epic Games thing, I, I think it's fine. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. There's some thoughts for you. In our next segment, we are actually going to, Christina's going to disappear, and we are going to bring on fellow (laughs) Relay podcaster and also jack-of-all-trades, Dan Morin. And he's going to talk about his new book that just came out, The Aleph Extraction. Uh, So I'm going to blow a poof of dust, and when you wake, you will be in a, a different podcast. Except it's still this podcast, and you'll be hearing from me and Brianna and Dan talking about sci-fi. Enjoy! All right, I would like to welcome in this segment a very special guest to the show, and that person is, of course, Dan Morin, whose book, yeah, The Aleph Extraction, was just released, and it got a star from Publishers Weekly, which rocks. It is the second book in your Galactic Cold War uh, series sort Express. of the third, isn't That's it? That's right. That's it. Yay! Well, but well, the Caldonian Gambit is kind of the same universe. So, so yeah. All right. There's an ass. Yeah. There's an asterisk attached to that. People often ask about it. But yes, it's the the Galactic Cold War series. Technically, starts book one is the Baron Agenda. Book two is the Alpha Extraction. The Caldonian Gambit takes place in the same universe. Many of the same right. characters. But it was a different publisher, so that, that happened. And it says, okay. too, right there on the cover. I'm looking it does, at yeah. it, and you can't argue with the book's cover. That's what you're supposed to judge to by. That's right. I'm just saying, because I've read I've read all of them, so they're kind of, like, it's all, it's, to me, it's all, in my mind, it's all part of the Dan Morin universe. <laughs> the extent, yeah, the Dan Morin cinematic universe. <laughs> right. So, first of all, I have to say, 
Yeah, it was so weird is I know you, I consider you a friend. Like we've hung out many times in real life. It is, it's so weird because I think of you as like Dan Morin, the fun podcasting guy, because that's where <laughs> I met you. And then as I've gotten into your books, like you're a really damn good writer, man. Like oh, thank you're you. really good. Now you think of me of Dan Morin, the jerky author guy. That's what well, that's what you're saying. <laughs> it's like if I didn't, if I had met you under, if I met you now through reading your books, I think like a lot of yourself comes through with that. Like they're fun and they're energetic and it's, it's got that snarky factor of like what it's like to like talk to you, but <laughs> it's, you've also got really deep characterization here and it's just, it's impressive. You've got a lot of range. Oh, well, thank you. That's I want to nice ask to before we get into the questions, can you give us basically the, the elevator pitch for this series? Yeah, absolutely. So the series takes place in the far future where there are two superpowers which have kind of carved up the galaxy between them. You've got the Illyrican Empire and the Commonwealth of Independent Systems, and they're engaged in a long-running Cold War where there's sort of a stalemate in the galaxy, and of course that provides a great opportunity for spies and all the other people who live in the shadows to do their dastardly deeds as they try to get a one, you know, each try to get a leg up over each other in this ongoing conflict. And we follow uh, a group called the Special Projects Team, led by a guy named Simon Kavalik, um, which is the Commonwealth, sort of one of their premier covert operatives teams that's in there trying to, like, find the the, the lever that's going to help them shift the balance of the war in their favor. Nice. And they decide the way to do that is a giant heist. Like, it's heist <laughs> yes. movie time. It's yes. always a giant heist. That's the right answer to everything. That's literally how I solve every problem in my life. So, I mean... D- have you? Are you a Mass Effect player at all? Do you do you play do you play games at all, Dan? Oh yeah, yeah. I played all three Mass Effect, uh, so, the yeah, first three. This has yep. like serious like heist, uh, Kasumi stolen memories mm-hmm, like vibes mm-hmm. to it because it's fun, it's exciting. You've got gangsters like mm-hmm. it's it's. And this is this is. I mean, when you set out to do this, I feel like Caldonian Gambit. It was, if you don't mind me saying, it was a little bit more um, somber, a book, in Mm -hmm, my opinion. mm -hmm. Did you sit down and say, I want to just kind of reboot this in a more fun way? I mean, what's the kind of overall tone that you were going for with this particular arc? Well, I really like the sort of, not quite dark. I mean, I'm not a dark writer. As you said, like, I like comedy. I like humor. I like snarky, fast-paced dialogue. Um, so Gambit was really my attempt to write something that I think did have some emotional heft to it, but it was also my first book. So a right. lot of that was just sort of exploring, like, oh, what what is my range? What's my sweet spot? Like, trying to find what my voice. What is a book? <laughs> what, what is a book? How do you put pages in a book? Um, and so I think in that one, I did want to, it delves into some slightly more serious issues, and it's got sort of a whole family drama angle to it right. and all of that. But I really like the meat of the story is always about this team and about the sort of the spy missions they're on. And so having a chance in uh, Bayern Agenda and Aleph Extraction to sort of go into more of a, you know, it's not strictly plot driven, but like there is a definite plot driven element of like, all right, we got to go do this thing. There's like a MacGuffin, like, oh, we got to find that or we got to solve this problem. It's it it does lend itself to a little more of an action packed, fast moving uh, situation. Not that Gambit didn't have that, but it was. It was, again, I think a lot of it was me trying to find my footing as a writer. Mm -hmm. I think Gambit was, if you don't mind me saying, like it opens up, it's talking in depth about the science of the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then this is... It's you don't have to have read the first book to to read the sequel, but certainly it it helps you understand. But I think it 
it's a real it's it's more of a standalone work in the sense you have characters they're st- they're established quickly you know you've got your snarky pilot you've got the leader trying to hold everyone together you know they've all kind of got their own stuff and it's it's i would almost say it's more of a a character study like a fun character study of of these people and they all want something and yeah. they're kind of finding out what they want how true some of that is if that makes sense yeah no yeah oh that's that's good i like that i like the textual analysis no i i yeah i think you're totally right there it's it's a lot about the characters i think i think i spent a lot of time in the first book especially or in gambit especially like laying the groundwork like you said like laying out not just the science but like here's the universe here's like all the the place setting and and going into bayer and even though it was sort of billed as book one gave me an opportunity to be like the stage is set let's just launch into like the action the adventure without having to like spend a lot of time setting things up and then having set up sort of the bigger you know galactico political picture or whatever in that book this book let me just sort of launch into like all right you know these characters like you know kind of what they're after like or you can pick it up pretty quickly as you go and let's just launch into sort of this complex plot but it has these all these characters trying to figure out these different aspects of what's going on or what's what do they want what's their life about like i think i think it is kind of standalone in as far as the plot goes like if you pick this up without having read either of the other books I've written, I think you can find your footing pretty quick. Like, right. There's a lot of recognizable stuff where you're like, ah, there's spaceships. There's a, you know, these giant empire fighting thing. Please explain corporations with too much control in the world. (laughs) That's something that's hard to, I never heard of that before. I know. Did you you have a journey of like trying to learn how to trust the reader when it comes to writing these sequels? Like, so that you're not, retreading all of that ground that you've already um already written out like how do how do you find that proper um level of explanation for them yeah it's tricky because you you don't want to you don't want to make people feel like they're jumping in the middle right like i think what's fun about playing around with this semi-episodic structures I, i think of it a lot like watching a tv show and probably a tv show that's more like you know, maybe a TV show from the, the 90s or early 2000s, right, where a lot of it is episodic, but oftentimes you have these plot threads that kind of go through it. So, I mean, I'll throw out something like a Deep Space Nine. Like, you know, you watch that. And it's like an, you, you you pick up a random episode, you start watching it. And it's like, all right, I don't really need to know everything about the last yeah. three seasons of this show. But there may be some character threads sprinkled throughout it that you're like, oh, I see there's something bigger going on here, and I don't really get the overarching plot. So I try to take cues from that, which is let the plot sort of drive itself and be contained within the book, but at the same time, have the characters dealing with something that's maybe a little bit larger. Mm-hmm. See, and that's why I think I think Picard and New Star Trek is kind of failing at that, right? Because they took it, they took the Star Trek formula and tried to make it a lot more bingeable, right? And you've got to watch one episode after the other to kind of get your footing. Whereas in nineties and nil and, you know, original star Trek, it was much more like episode of the week. Let's go have an adventure. What I find I really like about your writing is that you've got really deep, fun characters and this isn't, it's not fluff. It's not, you know, it's not like a bro science adventure. Like these are substantive characters, but it's fun. And it's more that you can put these interesting characters in a situation and then that is part that is the flavor of the story they can go have many adventures Mm -hmm. and and i 
I keep thinking back as I was reading this, I kept thinking back to why Star uh, the original Star Wars succeeded. Uh, you know, people don't know this, but in 1977, the world was really falling apart. Like yeah. things were really dire. We had an energy crisis. Um, and you know, they had this movie that came out that was, it was full of hope. It was, it was filled with these characters that you understood instantly as archetypes. And they went and had an adventure and kind of saved the day. I think that's something you've written here. And that's why I personally enjoyed it so much because it's like, if I've got to watch the damn news or I can go <laughs> read something that's a much, this is substantive character adventure. Like I, I put down this book and finished it feeling great. If that makes sense. Oh, good. Which good. Is, All which right. You well. don't get with the news. So <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Brie knows I'm a big star Wars fan too. So she's like, kind of like, like batting that one right back at me. So I'm, I'll take that, that compliment. <laughs> gladly. <laughs> I want to return to, I guess, the the first book that you wrote being a little more serious and a little more heavy on uh, exposition or hard sci-fi is from what you have just told me whereas these ones the the later ones in this one that you just wrote are more uh f- fun is the word that i'm <laughs> coming up with <laughs> that first one's um, a real slog let me tell you <laughs> no i just wanted to ask about i guess the if you felt any if that's because you felt like pressures from your own uh, expectations from sci-fi of what that first book had to be Mm. and how you've grown as an author with the later books. Yeah. I mean, writing, writing a debut is hard too. And and it's a very different piece because when I, when I finally got Gambit published, I had written it mostly like years and years before. And so it wasn't the first novel I had finished um, and so I had learned a lot in that process in terms of like finishing several other books and writing this one and feeling like, all right, maybe I'll just keep working on this one until I get it published. And then actually getting it to the point of publication like that, that was great. But it definitely carries a lot more weight with your debut mm-hmm. because you only get one shot at it, right? Like yeah. short of, you know, using a pseudonym or something like that. It's really kind of your big, your big opportunity to present yourself to an audience. And there is a lot of weight with like, with that, I think, because so much I think there part of it is just the bar has been raised, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is so much great science fiction out there too. There's so much great writing in this whole genre, science fiction, fantasy, all of it, that that it makes it daunting to sometimes come into it with what maybe feels like it's just an adventure fun piece. You know, when you look at stuff like what NK Jameson has done, like for example amazing work like work Hmm. that rivals the greatest literature like that you would call like mainstream literature and so it's like wow i'm just gonna write a book about spaceships and people shooting lasers (laughs) (laughs) that's in the same category um so you try to stretch yourself you try to like do something maybe more meaningful but i think it's also because there's tension like you're you're Mm -hmm. very worried right like so you have to deal with that like like expectation of presenting yourself to an audience. And so after a book or two, you get, you loosen up a little bit. I think you get into feeling like, all right, it's not a battle every time. Now I've kind of established myself a little bit and that gives me more chance to relax and sort of write something that's just more fun. And I will also say in a lot shorter time, I wrote this book. Oh, yeah. This book was under contract. I wrote this book in nine months as opposed to nine oh my years. God. You know, that's a big, <laughs> I mean, I'm glad it worked, but like I was, it was a little yeah. touch and go there. Oh my gosh. Well, we here at Rocket, I give this book an enthusiastic two thumbs up. It's exactly what I needed to read. 
Dan, you, 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 I'm, I'm proud to be your friend. I'm proud to know you. Everyone listening to this, if you like sci-fi at all, go pick up this book. Support authors like Dan. And if you do, hopefully we'll get a TV show out of this. Hey! So I could use a little bit more fun sci-fi on, uh, on my your, streaming. That's your lips to Hollywood's ears, Brie. Yes, of course. You said that in a very like final way. Like That's yeah. my last question, and I'm wrapping up this interview. We're wrapping it up. We're wrapping it up! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. Yay. Short and sweet. This yeah, is very no, exciting. I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. The last, like, I did actually, I just read my first N.K. Jemison book, and it was very good and very stressful. But the last, like, sci-fi space <laughs> adventure book I read was Hyperion by Dan Simmons. And oh, it gave okay. me, a, like, an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, the the books I always recommend, um, my favorite series of books is a series of books called The Vorkosigan Saga by Lois McMaster Bujold. My favorite sci-fi books of all time. They are great. There is also like 18 of them. It's hilarious. But like, they're super fun. They She does amazing characters and amazing world building. And some of them are just like, well, my favorite thing about her is she played with genre all over the place. Like some of the earlier ones read more like military science fiction. Mm-hmm. Some of the later ones, like there's mystery, but there's also like one that's basically like a farcical comedy. Yes. And it's great. It's that awesome. Fun. I highly recommend the whole series. And trust me, you read the first couple and you will be hooked and devouring the rest of it. I'm into that. Oh my gosh. It's great. So it, good. It's just, I just have to say, it's so weird reading it while I know you. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, you know, cause when Frank does short stories for, you know, right. a bunch yeah. of different I mean, places you know. and when I read his stuff, it's like, I know Frank, right? And, right. And yeah. it makes you read the work differently. Yeah. I guess I, I just, I really mean this. It's, I think of you as like this fun loving guy that, that does Apple stuff. And then I'm reading this and you've got, Deep characters are dealing with some serious. <laughs> I don't know. It's like this whole side of you I've never seen before. So well, thanks this for is, uh, yeah. letting us yeah. see that. Oh my oh, gosh! Thanks, thanks for having me on. This was fantastic. Yeah. Can you tell us really quick where we can find you online and where people can find your book? Absolutely. Uh, you can find me in plenty of places. I'm on Twitter at dmorin. I'm basically on every social media site as dmorin. Nice. Uh, my website is dmorin.com. And of course, I host Clockwise right here on uh, the Relay FM network, along with Micah wow! Sargent. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> that show. Uh, along with a bunch of other shows, The Rebound, a um, bunch of stuff over at theincomparable.com as well. And I write with Jason Snell over at sixcolors.com. I am all over the internet. You really yeah, are everywhere. So, yeah. Try, <laughs> I'm everywhere. And now you're you in space, be. too. We just can't get and away from I'm in you. Space. <laughs> Technically, we're all in space. We're just on a planet that's in Whoa. space. Just, uh, <laughs> Whoa. Just let me blow your mind a little bit. No, that's exactly the kind of stuff that got me in trouble with Hyperion. So don't you start that. <laughs> 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 all right. Thank you so much, Dan. Have a great night. Thanks, guys. You too. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> buy Dan's book. That was fun. Go buy his book. I just want to click her to see how many accents you go through in one show, Simone. Like, just that would disturb track. poor Jim so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This actually has been a good reminder to me to make sure that I upload that stuff. Well, okay, to wrap up today, to get our delicious dessert in, it has been announced that Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 are being remastered for this gen consoles. And everyone is losing their minds. I'm so excited. I'm you so are excited. excited. Brianna, you're not excited? I I have to admit I'm not excited. <gasps> oh, my God. Explain. I, 
I, I, I just never got into these games. Uh, it came, do you remember when you would, I, I don't remember if it was Pizza Hut or Domino's, but they had a, they had a thing where they gave out a Tony Hawk pro skater, uh, demo and I tried it and it just wasn't my thing. And, uh, that was back in the nineties. I kind of just haven't ever played it. So sell me on it. Tell me why I need to be psyched about this game. Okay. Now, now Simone, did you play Tony Hawk? Absolutely not. <laughs> see, see, you I'm know I wasn't alone, allowed to I have thought. consoles. I, I, I know you weren't, but I thought that maybe by the time you were allowed to have consoles, like that would have been a game you would have played because it was on like everything. It was an, originally the first Tony Hawk game came out for the PlayStation in September of '99 and was kind of a slow hit at first, and then became like massive. It came out on the Dreamcast. Uh, the Dreamcast version of Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 is the definitive Tony Hawk game. Fight me. But the best game <laughs> period is the Dreamcast version of Tony Hawk 2. And by the time the PlayStation um, 2 came out, like Tony Hawk 2 came out and it just, it was this massive, massive thing. There was a third one and then they had like another kind of series, which was more open world. I don't know. Like, did you ever play, um, Bree, did you ever play uh, 1080 snowboarding? Or in 64? Okay. Yeah. Or Wave Race. So it's like that, but with skateboards and with way more moves and way better mechanics and like more kind of side quest mission things that you can do. It's, but it's that sort of game. So if you liked 1080, you would, I would have thought that you would have liked Tony Hawk because. I I played it. I didn't love 1080. So. Okay. All right. So I loved 1080. I loved Wave Racer. I loved those kind of tricks games. And in the late 90s, there were a lot of. Um, skateboard and like extreme sports games like you had you know like some of the various um, uh, like EA made a bunch of them and you had like you know BMX games and some other stuff but to me Tony Hawk just totally changed everything and it introduced a lot of things that you later saw in other sports games but it did it early like you could customize you know your your players and they had like brand deals with with different like skate uh, clothing companies where you could you know dress up your you know, your players and different stuff, which was also kind of similar to what they did in 1080. And it had amazing, 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 amazing music, like all the really good, like, uh, you know, pop punk kind of stuff of like the the late uh, 90s, early 2000s, like a really, really good soundtrack. The, um, I don't know, the tricks were really fun. Like you would spend forever, like try to earn points and try to like beat challenges. When you had multiplayer, you know, you'd, you'd go up against each other and see who could, you know, uh, score, you know, the, the most um, points in, in, in various periods of time. Like this was before you really had online gameplay, but, you know, it, this would have been bananas and online. And, you know, if, what I loved about the game is that you could go through kind of the challenges and you could unlock other um, uh areas where you would be able to skate but if you didn't want to to do that if you just wanted to kind of do free skating you could do that too and you could listen to whatever music you wanted on demand you could put in a different cd and like play that in the background too which i would frequently do on my xbox and i don't know i just for me it was just one of those like perfect just like really fun games that you were sitting around with your friends passing the controller back and forth to see who can score the most points i always really liked the physics i always really liked different mechanics of, of how to do the tricks. I don't know. It's just, to me, it's like the perfect nostalgia game. The, the, the it, It's just, it's a great series. I feel like hearing you talk about it, I'm either fabricating a memory or I have <laughs> played it at least once because there's like a, the faint stirrings of a thought in the back of my head. 
where I've played Tony Hawk. Yeah, I, I would I would be shocked if you'd never played it, to be totally honest. Like, I know you weren't allowed to have consoles, but I'd be totally shocked if you didn't play it even briefly at somebody's house at some point because it have. was everywhere. Man. Well, yeah, it's super exciting. And I know it's just a, an iconic sports game. Um, and people have been kind of clamoring for the spiritual successor, Skate 4, for years and years and years, and it is not going to happen. It's just not there. There's no signs of it on the horizon. So having these games come back is a blessing on a thirsty, thirsty skateboard video game desert. Totally. What's what's interesting is that they've remade this game a number of times. So it's been ported a number of times. So the first original game came out for PlayStation. We love archiving. Yeah. So the first original game came out in, uh, for PlayStation in 99. And then that was quickly ported to the Dreamcast. And the Dreamcast version was better, higher res graphics, but largely was the same game, same music. It also came to the Nintendo 64. That was harder because of the limitations on the size of the Nintendo 64 cartridge. You didn't have the same music and and some other things were changed, but, but it came there. And then um, when the Xbox came out, they actually re-released Tony Hawk 1 and 2, and I think they used the Dreamcast ports for that since that was also 128-bit. And that was interesting because I actually still have that somewhere with my original Xbox. You could play, you know, the the older um, games, and at that point, you know, the PS2 came out and, and Tony Hawk 2 came out for PS2, but you could also have backward compatibility. You could play the original. And then they re-released it in HD, I think, in 2012, but they didn't have all the levels, and it wasn't right, and it was just mm-hmm. weird, and it was not great. And, um, and so this is, uh, you know, they've, it's, it's been on Game Boy DS or not D, not Game Boy. It's been on Game Boy. It's been on DS. So it's interesting to see that this is coming to PC. It's going to come to, you know, Xbox, um, uh, Series X and, and PS5 and, and Xbox One and PS4. And I, you know, I think this is going to be, this is like the perfect time for this because everybody's nostalgic about this sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. If they do this the right way. This will be huge. What's also interesting is they have a kind of a create um, a skate park mode. Um, and that they will be like letting people share online is what they've that's said. That's super which, fun. And that's That to, to me is, um, yeah, well, it's upgraded. There was a create a park mode, I believe, that came in some of the later um, models. And, and, and that was really kind of rudimentary where you could design a, a park and, you know, decide where you want to put ramps and where you want to put other kind of stuff so you can do tricks. But it was, you know, it's clunky because you're talking yeah. about like almost 20 years ago uh. or more than 20 years ago for the first game. Um, and you could also create and customize your own player. But now they said that it's going to be upgraded and that people can share it online. And like that, I'm just, I'm excited to see all the amazing stuff that people do with the Create a Park. If if it even like is half as good as, as we're hoping, I think this is going to be killer. Um, like worst case, if it's a mediocre port, I, th- I still think it'll be like ridiculously successful, but if the port is actually done, I don't think done, it will be. Yeah, if it's half as good as you're hoping, are you going to do another fire festival? At, I mean, <laughs> I would love to. I would. I would love to do something in Tony Hawk if it were even possible. I, all I know is that we interviewed Tony Hawk at Gizmodo over Kinja. Oh my god! Like three years ago, and I my one question I asked him, I was like. Um, can you confirm that the best uh, Tony Hawk game is Tony Hawk 2 for or Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 for the Dreamcast? And he was like, yes, that is correct. And I was like, all right. Done. I rest my Perfect. case. Hard-hitting journalism. But, but no, no, I, I mean, wa- sorry, go on, I, I, I just wanted to say, like, I don't think this is going to be uh, a run-the-mill port. I mean, if you look at the pictures, at least the ones they have on the Epic Store, I mean, they really went through. Yeah. They made modern 3D models. 
everything there. It's spec maps. It's normal maps. It's 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 it, no. It looks it looks like they're going all in. And yeah, and, it, and the company that's that's doing this, they they've done um, other um, uh, ports before. Like they did, um, they actually did the uh, the DS versions of the game um, back when you know this was all an Activision thing. But they've also done some other uh, ports. I think of. Uh, of some other um, PlayStation uh, classic games, like they did. Uh, they've, uh, they've done some of the Skylanders stuff, and they. Oh no, that's what. Here's what they did. They did Crash Bandicoot. They did the Insane trilogy. So oh. that was a really good like remaster. So mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm really hopeful. But I was just saying, even if it was terrible, I were if it was slight, if it was anything better than the 2012 version. Although let's get <laughs> real, if it were just the 2012 version, I still think people would go bananas. But if it's better than that. That's really the only bar they need to get over. But I, this looks like I'm I'm not wanting to get my hopes up too much. But this looks like like you said, like it looks like they've completely redone all the three D maps, and like it looks like it's you know they're they're taking the same you know ideas, the same music, the same characters, but are are refreshing it. And and if they can keep the mechanics right, that's the only thing that I that worries me is it's like the mechanics of this game were so tight and were so good, where you know you would hit certain combinations and just be able to pull off these tricks. And once sometimes when you would get a certain trick, you would just like feel like a million bucks because you're like, yes, I did it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if you're playing a, a, a fighting game, it's a similar sensation, but it's like that plus Madden, like at the wow. same time. And, and, and so if you're able to kind of, if they can, if they can get the mechanics right, which has been the problem with the last couple of games that have had the Tony Hawk banner, like one even came out for Xbox one and it's, it's terrible. The mechanics are totally wrong. If they can get the mechanics right, this is this will definitely assage us um in, until skate four comes out, which as you said will be never in fifty years. Yeah. I've seen you excited about so many things. I've never seen you this excited. <laughs> I'm I'm so excited. Like <laughs> genuinely, like I don't know, like listeners, like let us know on Twitter, like your thoughts, because maybe, maybe I'm just like the perfect age for this. Maybe that's like the difference between like our ages on the show that like this just hits me like perfectly. It hit you hard. But <laughs> But this is, this is, I'm so excited. But also, Simone, like, if, I, I guarantee you, like, when this comes out and you play it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that one time at somebody's, you know, house or whatever I played this. You'll have those memories. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Brianna, what are you doing this week? I am learning Unreal Engine 4, or at least I was before today's announcement. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to think through the, I don't know, I'm probably going to go through and, um, you know, still work on that. Uh, we're obviously going to re-release Rev 60 with uh, in 64 bits soon for iOS. So uh, that is what I'm working on. It's a real slog because uh, I've kind of forgotten how oh, no. to put this game together. <laughs> I'm trying to reinterpret code oh, no. past Brianna wrote, and I'm like, what "Why the did hell? she do that?" Um, <laughs> you're like, "I did not document this well enough." What what am I doing? I'm not great at code documentation. That is very true. There's no such thing as perfect code documentation. Well, I'm really bad at it. So there we go. <laughs> Christina, what are you doing? So I'm getting ready for Microsoft Build, which will be taking place next week online. Um, attend. It's free. You can register at, um, uh, you know, uh, mybuild.microsoft.com. I think it might just be microsoft.com slash build. I don't, we'll have a link <laughs> in the show notes, but I, I'm getting ready for that. And um, I also uh, had like a brief sojourn into learning some ASP.NET 
core um, this week so I could make a button for something that probably won't even be used, which I'm glad about because I, I don't want my stuff to be used, but I'm kind of, I I've not, I feel you, Bree, when you're going back and you're trying to re-remember things or, yes. or like redo stuff and you're going through your old stuff and you're like, what, what is this? <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've dropped that link in the show notes for y'all. This week, I am working on a Clark Gable music video. <laughs> Yes. And that's what I'm doing. I thought that was just you on Twitter. Oh my God. That's me. That's Simone unfiltered. That's what Twitter is. Okay. (laughs) I love this. So so to be clear, Clark Abel the actor, not Clark Abel the song. Yes. There's been some confusion around this. I don't know Clark Gable the song. I don't know him. I know Clark Gable the actor. He's my dead boyfriend. And I'm making a video about him because he's hot. And I want to show people that. And he's so he's super hot. Well, Clark Gable is is a song by the Postal Service, but um, I think that might have been like why people were because I I even in my mind I was like, does she mean the actor? Because that's what I would assume. But I would also be like, well, maybe she's wanting to go like early two thousands like indie hipster like lo fi music throwback. I don't know. Should so, I listen to the song? It's a good song. Yeah. Okay. I'll ch- I'll, I'll consider I mean, it. It's the post. I mean, it, I mean, it's the Postal I Service. Say, I said, don't listen to it. Leave your artistic vision untainted it doesn't know no it's, it's a good song it, it, it's, it's the postal service what's not to love it's it's uh, from one point. of the greatest albums of the last 20 years i have no fair memory point. of this um so i will be <laughs> i am slowly watching clark gable movies and screen capping them uh to use He's in so this hot. video and i have made a horrible discovery that i am angry about which is that without his mustache there's just nothing going on there it's not no. worth looking Without no, the mustache. No, 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 no. He is iconic with the mustache. Also, he died really young. Really? They all died kind of young. <laughs> well, yeah, but like 60, 59, like whatever. Like that was just, that's young. Yeah. But um, wow. yeah, but uh, he, uh, you know, super hot. I mean, I've, I'm from Atlanta, <laughs> so I've seen Gone with the Wind more times than any human probably ever should. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. You know, that's like, that's like, yeah, that's like, it's just the culture in the South. You watch that Yikes. all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially Atlanta, like, because, yeah. Yeah. So. I'm not including Gone with the Wind. I'm sticking with uh, his early and mid-30s roles, with an exception for Strange Cargo, uh, because, hoo oh, baby. But he was really hot in Gone with the Wind. What? Why, why are you not including Gone with the Wind? Uh, I'm not really interested in it. I mean, he is very hot in it. There's one good kiss in it, but I'm just not gonna touch that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's not a problematic film. I'm just saying, like, a lot of films from that era are incredibly problematic. Yeah, I know. Uh, I watched them. Is there any but film I don't want to step not? in Gone with the Wind discourse. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, uh, directed, produced by Jewish... Also, isn't Gone with the Wind in color? Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to do color films. <laughs> Let me just go on my brief, like, favorite thing about Gone with the Wind. So it's this, you know, this book that has lots of problematic things. It's a problematic film. I'm not denying that. But it's heralded as, like, this great, like, thing of southernness by southern people and whatnot. Yep. And then the movie, what I love about it is that it's the ultimate southern movie directed by um, um, and, and produced by um, uh, Jewish people starring basically nothing but British people. And... <laughs> Which is hysterical because they went on like this massive search to find Scarlett O'Hara, and so all the Southern Bells, you know, come out. Who do they get? Vivian Lee, who's like the most British British person. Like she, <laughs> she was born in India, but India was still owned, was still colonized. But like the most British British person who ever like British, like the yeah. most English actress ever. Um, and she was great, and she won an Oscar for it. But I always kind of loved that, like the most English actress, period, 
all of them were English, but like the most English actress period was like cast in this like very Southern role of like, that's like, you know, put as like the high and heightened of like, oh yes, Southern femininity. It's like, yeah, all the people in this movie don't agree with your politics and also don't like agree with anything you stand for and were like against slavery. But hey, cool. You know, you do you, um, uh, Southern people who who um, unabashedly love this film. Also, Clark Gable like uh, refused um, to uh, deal with the segregation when they tried to have Hattie McDaniel not um, at um, uh, like he 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 uh, he like tried to boycott uh, Gone with the Wind um, when um, the, the the premiere. It was the Academy Awards or something. Or oh yeah, she wasn't allowed to come to the premiere. Yeah, and then he right. threw a fit. Which was very cool of him. Very woke of you, Clark Gable. I have to say, like, that's like, he, he was, I mean, he was the Clooney of, like, the 30s. Yeah, absolutely. One hundo. Gorgeous, beautiful man. Um. Anyway, wow, we went off on a tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I apologize. I am film underscore girl. Sorry, guys. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, you should find us online. Uh, Christina, where can we find you online? So as I said, you can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. And you can see me next week uh, during uh, Microsoft Build, uh, during the um, when we're doing kind of our, our UK time zones, I will be uh, kind of a hosting um, and kind of, you know, being like the, the newscaster type person for that. I'll be doing some other interviews throughout uh, the, the broadcast. But uh, if you happen to be awake between uh, 12 a.m. and 8 a.m. Pacific time, uh, please tune in and you will see me uh and and I will be awake and, and hosting. <laughs> Brianna, what about you? You know what? Film underscore girl. <laughs> nice. Tweet Christina this week. Just do that. And you can find me at Doom Quasar everywhere online. And you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts where you could please leave us a review or a rating. We really appreciate everyone who does that. Thank you everyone so much for listening. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs>